0: We say that every week, but the reason is, is because this is God's word. We really believe that God has spoken to us through the book, through the Bible. And that's why this is kind of a unique thing that we do weekly. We're studying a book. It might seem strange. This is not so much a pep talk when you come to a sermon, so much as it is us really trying to see, okay, what is this saying? Because what this says is God's word. And if it really is God's word, if it really is God speaking to us, then this matters more than any other thing we read or hear ever. That's why we do what we do. So, if you haven't, open to John 5 and let's pray. We love that we have your word, we love it, God. We love that you have spoken. And that we can hear. If by the Spirit you open our ears and you open the eyes of our hearts to see and hear what you have said, please help us. We ask for this, not because we deserve it, but because you're a gracious God and we need your grace and know that you give. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week in John 5, we saw Jesus told those who were listening to him that he gives life. He gives life to whoever he wants and that he's going to judge the world. This week, he's going to expand on that. He's going to explain more about his works of giving life and his work of judging the world. And with each work... Jesus is going to tell us not just about the work of life-giving and judging the world, but he's going to tell us more about who he is as the judge and as the life-giver. Now, we're going to approach this text a little differently because we're going to start at the end, and then we're going to move back to the beginning. I'm not trying to be smarter than the Bible in doing this. I think if we start at the end, then the beginning is going to be clearer to us When we get there. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start by talking about the work of final judgment and who Jesus is as the final judge. So that's actually at the end of our passage. That's verses 27 through 29. And then we're gonna jump back to the beginning and we're gonna talk about the work of life giving and who Jesus is as the life giver. And then to close, we're gonna talk about the powerful. Voice of Jesus. All right, let's start at the end. Look down at verse 27, the work of final judgment. We're going to read 27 through 29. Jesus says, And he, talking about God the Father, has given him, he's talking about himself, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is talking about the end of the world. An hour is coming. Do you see that? Jesus is talking about the future. An hour is coming. In the future, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. You see that in verse 28? And they'll come out. So get this. At the end of time, everybody who's died will come back to life with their bodies. This is not just people's spirits. This is everybody with their body is coming back. And Jesus' point is not that only people buried in a tomb are coming to life. Do you see that? He says, those who are in the tombs will hear his voice. He doesn't just mean people who are buried in tombs. He means people who have died. So whether you've been buried in a tomb, you've been put six feet under the dirt, your body's been burned or dropped in the ocean, it's not a problem for Jesus. You're going to get your body back. You and everyone else. And I say this because you don't need to worry about the condition of your body when Jesus comes back. You don't need to worry about it. Your goal in life is not to preserve your body the best you can. And when you die, to preserve your body as best you can. Your goal is to live for Christ. And for most of us, that means using up our bodies, wearing them out. And for some of us, it means losing our bodies In terrible ways. It's not a problem for Jesus. He can put us back together. Christians have been burned at the stake. They've been eaten by animals in the Colosseum. That's not a problem for Jesus. If his voice created the universe and his voice sustains all things, that's what Hebrews 1 says, then his voice can put you back together or recreate you if he needs to. That's not a problem for Jesus. Now notice, it's not just the righteous who are resurrected here. It's both those who have done good and those who've done evil. Verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Death is not an escape from judgment. Everyone will receive immortal bodies. Everyone, believers and unbelievers, some are going to receive immortal bodies so that they can stand in the happy presence of God and not be obliterated and enjoy him forever. And some will receive immortal bodies that cannot stop existing so that they can be judged forever. And this is true of everyone you know and have ever known. The judgment's a big deal for Christians. If you read the New Testament, the judgment is not a side issue for us. It's a big deal. The reality that some of us are looking forward to eternal, never-ending life is on the forefront of the apostles' mind when they write the New Testament, and that everyone who doesn't trust in Jesus will continue forever in punishment is not a side issue. This is a big deal for Christians. It's real. It's real. And we ought to live in light, think in light of that reality. This is not a fable. Judgment is coming. Now let's talk about who Jesus is as the final judge. Because you see in verse 27, Jesus tells us, that the Father has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now notice, in verse 25, Jesus calls himself the Son of God. And if you've been around the last several weeks, that's why the Pharisees want to kill him. They understand when he calls himself the Son of God, he's making himself equal to God. But here... Jesus says the Father has given him authority to execute judgment, not because he's the Son of God, but because he's the Son of Man. Do you see that? Because he's the Son of Man. In Daniel, the book of Daniel, it's in the Old Testament, Daniel was a prophet. He lived in exile under Babylonian and Persian kings. So 600 years before Jesus came to earth... Daniel, the prophet, had a vision in Daniel chapter 7. He sees a vision of the future. And in his vision of the future, he sees a man, a son of man. And God gives this son of man authority to rule the world forever. What kind of man is that? Listen to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's talking about God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Daniel has a vision of a son of man who's served by every people, nation, and language forever. And Jesus is claiming that that son of man that Daniel saw, that's me. I'm the one who's going to rule all the nations forever and ever, and that's why I have authority to judge because I'm the son of man. So think about, think about what that means. Son of man. A son of man is another way, it's a poetic way of saying a human. You say this person is a son of man, you're saying this is a human. It's a poetic way of saying that, a human being. Jesus is a human He's God's son, so he is divine. And he really is a son of mankind. He's one of us, a human, a real human. And that uniquely qualifies him to judge us. He's lived a human life, he knows what it's like, he did it perfectly. And so he's positioned uniquely to be the judge of humans. And his humanity is also why he's qualified to rescue us from judgment. There are a lot of people who want to argue that Jesus was a man, a great man, but that he's not God. That's a problem. It's a problem because you and I sin, all of us. We live for ourselves. We've hurt other people. We've not loved God and lived for him. And it's because our failure, our sin is against God, that we have a God sized debt. Our failure is God sized. This is important to understand. The greatness of our sin is not the length of time that we've sinned. You and I have only lived for a few decades. That's not why our sin's so great. And our sin's not great. Because we've committed the worst of sins, like rape, murder, genocide. Those are the worst. You may have, but that's not the thing that makes your sin great. The greatness of our sin is that we've sinned against God. It's the worth of the person we've sinned against that makes our sin so great. And because God is infinite, His worth is unending, unmatched. Our sin is God-sized. Our debt is God-sized. Our failure is God-sized. And here's why this matters. If Jesus is not God, then our God-sized debt that we owe can't be paid. Jesus is dying on the cross. He's taking our punishment. That's what he's doing there our infinite debt, and he can do it because he has the worth of God himself. So it's crucial that he's God. If he's not God, our God-sized sin can't be paid. If you want to be saved, you need your sacrifice, Jesus, to be God. But there are other people who argue because Jesus is God, he can't be a real man and this is just as much a problem for our salvation we need a man to represent us as our sacrifice i mean the old testament they're killing bull after bull goat after goat sheep after sheep sheep dove after dove and it's not covering any sin a sheep can't cover the sin of a man We needed a real human to live a sinless life as a real human. Jesus didn't cheat. He lived as a real human so that our place could be switched with him. You see that? If Jesus was an angel, he just looked like a man, but he came and he lived a sinless life. But he wasn't a human. There would be no basis for him taking the place of mankind. Only a human can take the place of humans and praise God that Jesus is a real human. He was and he is. He can be your substitute. He's fully God. And he really is fully man, and he must be. His righteousness, the righteousness he lived on this earth can be yours. The punishment he took on the cross can be yours because he's the only one qualified to be a substitute for people like us. He has the worth to pay because he's God, and he's really one of us so he can take our place. If you reject him, if you reject Jesus, you will be resurrected. You'll stand before him, not as your Savior, but as your judge. And he'll send you away to exist forever in punishment and loss and pain. That's true. Would you be one of the righteous who he resurrects to eternal life someday? then bow your knees to him now. And I mean, bow your soul to him, to him. Bow your whole life to him. And he'll take your judgment. And you'll be resurrected to life. Now, let's jump back to the beginning of our text. So we're going to go back to the beginning now. And we're going to look at the work of life-giving that Jesus does. So I'm going to read verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, we started at the end because I want you to be able to compare this verse, verse 25, with what we already read in verse 29. In verse 29... Jesus is talking about something that's going to happen in the future. Do you see that? All of the dead will be resurrected. You can see that in verse 29. He says, an hour is coming. This resurrection is future. And it's for all people. Do you see that in verse 29? An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now look back at verse 25. Jesus doesn't say all will hear his voice. It's just... The dead will hear his voice, and those who hear will live. And then look at the difference in timing. In verse 29, it said an hour is coming. So that's talking about the future. But here it says an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. That same phrase, the hour is coming and is now here, we've seen it already. We've seen it in John chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says to her, the hour's coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus is saying when he says the hour's coming and is now here is he means right now and here on out. True worshipers are going to do it in spirit and in truth. So in our passage, verse 25 Jesus is saying, right now, starting now and here on out, dead people are going to hear my voice and live. He's not just talking about the future here. He's talking about right now. That's different than verse 29, isn't it? Verse 29 is talking about Jesus raising everyone back to life at the end of the age. Verse 25 is talking about Jesus bringing people to life now. What does he mean that dead people are coming to life now? We know he can't mean that he's resurrecting dead bodies into glorious, immortal resurrection. One reason we know that is because we would notice. You would notice if there were people walking around who were immortal and could never die again. Jesus raised people from the dead. The apostles did as well, but they were more resuscitations. The people they raised from the dead would die again. In the resurrection, you never die again. We also know that he doesn't mean dead bodies are being resurrected because the apostles in the New Testament are clear. Jesus is the first one. He's the first one who gets a glorified immortal body, And then at the end of the age, the rest of mankind follows him. So, how are dead people hearing Jesus' voice now and coming to life? Jesus is talking about spiritually dead people becoming spiritually alive. That's what verse 25 is about. He's saying, right now... People have dead souls. A dead soul doesn't mean that you can't walk around and have conversations with people and play games and eat dinner. You can do that with a dead soul. A dead soul means you don't love God. You don't live for God and you don't see that God is the one you were made for, that he's what life is all about. If you don't see that, your soul is dead. And Jesus is saying, Some people who have dead souls are going to hear my voice and they're going to come alive. They're going to see he is what life is about. I didn't see it before. But there is no greater purpose in life than living for him. He's the treasure. That's what it means for your soul to live. And Jesus is doing that now. He's taking dead souls and he's giving them life. If you hear the voice of Jesus, your soul is made alive now. Do you remember how last week's text ended? It's just one verse before. Verse 24. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life already before your body can be made alive at the end of the age so that you can live with God forever, your soul must be made alive right now. Christians call this regeneration. Regeneration. It's when your dead soul comes to life. We also call it being born again. It's regeneration. It's when in this life, Your soul is made new. Jesus is doing that work now. It's the work he does before the resurrection. He's regenerating souls. He's bringing dead souls to life. Are you alive? Are you alive? Do you see that God is your treasure, that there's nothing greater than knowing God and living for him and enjoying his love? That's what it means to be alive. Are you? If you are, it's because you've heard Jesus' voice. He's made you alive. And if that's not you, you don't see God as the treasure of all the universe. He can make you alive. He can make you alive because, verse 26, we're, we're talking now about who Jesus is as the life giver, because as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Jesus can bring dead souls to life because he has it. He has life. Now look at verse 26. It says the father has life in himself, so he's granted the son also to have life in himself. God the father has life. He doesn't get it from somewhere else. That's what it means for him to have life in himself. He provides life for himself. You know anybody else who does that? God is self-existent. In fact, the name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. Have you ever heard that before? Yahweh, that comes from the Hebrew verb, to be, to exist. That's why he's called Yahweh, because he is. When he's talking to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses says, what's your name? I want to tell people your name. He says, you tell them I am sent you. And what he's telling Moses is that I exist. Nothing outside of me makes me. There is no reality outside of me. I'm not given life. I'm self-sustaining. I possess life in myself. And just as the father is self-sustaining, he's granted the son to have life in himself. This is different than us. Because you might say, well, God gives me life. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's not saying God has life. He's letting, letting Jesus live just like he lets anybody live. This is This saying something different. This is saying, no, no, no. Jesus possesses life in a way that he exists on his own. He sustains his own existence. These are deep waters here. So your brain's going to need to swim if you don't want to sink. These are deep waters when we talk about the Father and the Son. If you didn't hear last week's sermon, we talked a good bit about how the Father and the Son relate to each other. You can listen to it on our website if you didn't hear it. Here's a, here's a quick summary of how God the Father relates with God the Son. The Father is God, fully God. The Son is God, fully God. But God the Son is a son because he comes from the Father. He receives from the Father. He imitates the Father. But he has always been been coming from the father and receiving from the father and imitating the father always there was never a time where the son was not coming from the father you got that it's crucial that's really important we are not saying there was a time when the son was created or he started receiving life from the father he has always been receiving life in itself from his father. He is co-eternal with God. And so he's fully God. He's not less eternal or less God than the father, but they do relate as father and son. And we said, this is going to clear up a lot of scripture for you. If you understand, yes, Jesus really is God, but he relates to God the father as a son. This was not something that happened after Jesus became a man. The Son has always had life from the Father. Listen to the first four verses of this book. John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was And that life was the light of men. The Son of God has always had life in himself because the Father has from all eternity given the Son life in himself. Okay, so that's that's big theology up in the sky. Here's where it touches down for your life. Because the Son has life in himself, he can give it to whomever he wills. He can give life. He can give everlasting life to a soul and to a body. That's what he's doing now. He's bringing spiritually dead people to life. He knows worse than physical death is when your soul is dead and you can't know or live for the one thing you as a human being were made to live for. But he has life in himself, and he's bringing dead people like you and me to life. Do you want it? There's only one place to get it. That's why he came. Do you have friends and family who need to live? He can do it because he has life in himself. Now, as we close, and we really are closing, I hope, next five minutes or so, Consider the power that brings dead souls to life and dead bodies to life. What's the power in this text that's doing it? It's his voice. Do you see that? It's his voice that's bringing dead souls to life. It's his voice that's going to bring the dead to life at the end of the age. On the last day, Jesus will audibly, which means out loud, you can hear it with your ears, he will command the dead to rise, just like he did to Lazarus. To every man, woman, child, he will say, come out. And they will. Dead ears will hear and obey. That's what verse 28 says. At the end of time, it will be an out loud voice that you can hear with your ears. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.16, if you want to look that up. It'll be loud. But is that how people hear his voice now? Is that what it means in verse 25 when it says that people hear his voice? This is important. If hearing the voice of Jesus is how spiritually dead people are made alive, then we really need to know how do you hear his voice? How do you hear it? Jesus is not walking around on earth. He's in heaven, and he's not shouting out loud from heaven for people to hear. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we are ambassadors for Christ. That means you're a messenger for Christ. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying, now that Jesus is in heaven, at the right hand of the Father... When you hear someone explain what Jesus has done to repair our broken relationship with God, that person is speaking for Christ. The way people will hear the voice of Christ is when you tell them what Jesus has done. When you explain to them about judgment and how they can be reconciled to God through Jesus, you're an ambassador. And some of those people won't simply hear you talking, but through you, they will hear the voice of Jesus calling them. Some of them, when you speak, they will listen and think, this is true. I need this. That's hearing his voice. And those who hear will live. Christian, do you understand that the voice of Jesus comes through your voice. People are not going to hear the voice of Jesus until they hear your voice telling them about him or reading the Bible with them, telling them what he's done and who he is. Do you get that? Jesus does appear to people in dreams, but they don't get saved that way. They don't. The way you hear the voice of Jesus and your dead soul lives is when someone tells you what he's done. Or you read the Bible with them and they see what he's done. That's how you hear the voice of Christ. If this nation, if this city, if our friends and family are going to hear the voice of Jesus and live, it will be because they hear him through your voice. And listen, if, you're, if you don't think you're a Christian, so you're sitting here now, but you're hearing this sermon and you're saying to yourself, I, I think I need this. I need to be reconciled to God. I know I should be judged for my sin, but I, I want God. I want what Jesus has done for me. I want it to apply to me. Then you are hearing his voice. Come to him. He's calling you to believe. Simply believe and live. He has life in himself. So come to him and you'll never die. If you listen to his voice, when he judges the world, he will make your body live. And together, body and soul, you will enjoy him and his father forever. You'll become like him because he's one of us. He's the son of man who has life in himself. So come to him. Let's pray. I thank you that it's true, that this is true. You sent your son into the world your son who has life in himself so that he might be judged for us, he might rise from the dead, and we might share his life forever. Oh, Father, would you make us a church that loves what you've done for us, if any of us have any spiritual life in us, it's because Jesus has given it to us, because He spoke to us. And God, would you use us as a church with the judgment at the forefront of our minds to tell people how they can know the living God through Jesus and through our testimony? Would people hear the voice of your son and live, please? Thank you that that power, the powerful voice of Jesus, which sustains the world now, which created all things, is still at work bringing dead souls to life. Our labor is never in vain. So do that in this city. Do that through the members of this church, please. For your glory we pray.